Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Ahmed Tonak, who is the author and editor of several books, including Measuring the Wealth of Nations, The Political Economy of National Accounts, Turkey in Transition, New Perspectives, and Marxism and Classes. Trained as a mechanical engineer at Istanbul Technical University, Ahmed Tonak earned a PhD in economics from the New School for Social Research. Tonak taught for many years at Istanbul Bilgi University, Middle East Technical University, Bard College at Simons Rock, and is currently a visiting professor at UMass Amherst and works as an economist at Tri-Continental Institute for Social Research. Uh, he wrote, several, he wrote for several Turkish dailies and contributes to Sendika.org, an alternative news portal in Turkey. We will be talking about his new report, The Rate of Exploitation, The Case of the iPhone. Ahmed Tonak, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, how are you? Uh, very good. Thank you for being on here. So the the calculation that's reported at the at the beginning of this report that if an iPhone were produced in the United States, it would cost $30,000 instead of under $1,000. Uh, how is that How is that figured out? Uh, that $30,000 figure is not uh, our figure. I mean, it is usually cited in the literature related to cost of iPhone. And, but we know that basically how much we pay when we buy an iPhone. And the reason... Uh, of this big difference, uh, the current cost of iPhone and if it would have uh, produced in the United States had to do with mostly uh, labor costs. But in addition to obviously certain uh, inputs and certain intermediate goods uh, provided uh, different parts of the world and relatively uh, cheaply than uh, extracting and producing all of those things necessary to produce iPhone fully in the United States. So, so the idea is that the, all of the minerals and materials would be mined and gathered in the United States and the assembly would be done in the United States and primarily because of the, the difference in labor costs compared to all the places where the labor exists now in producing an iPhone, uh, it would cost uh, over 30 times as much. Exactly, exactly. And obviously some of the uh, minerals are not available in the U.S. anyway. But, I mean, that is a uh, minor point. Uh, the major point is that the labor cost and all the other ingredients necessary to produce iPhone are much more expensive if everything is basically obtained and executed in the United States. That's the main point. And, and along with that, uh, just to, to stick with the very beginning of, of your report for just a further second, uh, along with that, uh, you state that uh, a minimum wage worker in India would have to work for 16 and a half years to buy one iPhone. Uh, so that's quite a contrast with how long uh, a, a U.S. worker has to work to buy an iPhone uh, that's been produced in uh, in in China and perhaps in India and other places uh, in the southern part of the world. Exactly. And one of the distinguishing uh, characteristics of the workers in the north and workers in the south is exactly that. Uh, huge wage differentials. 
And so one would say that, you know, standard of living is unbearable in you know, many instances in the third world you know, countries for the workers, whereas obviously in the West and especially advanced capitalist countries, uh, workers relatively uh, are much more, you know, better shaped in terms of their standard of living. And and part of the part of the reason for the the cost savings uh, in going to certain parts of the world is the is the loose regulations on uh, environmental damage as well. Correct. Exactly, uh, environmental damage and obviously uh, lack of regulations uh, in that regard, and also penetration to certain markets in terms of transport transportation cost. Obviously. Uh, much more convenient to those, you know, multinational corporations, and and political structure, and sometimes you know, uh, infrastructure, uh, all of those things play a very important role. In some instances, actually, more important role than labor code. I mean, there, there is an impression that you know, uh, multinational corporations move country to country exclusively on the labor codes. I mean, it is somewhat correct, but it is not fully correct because, as I said, you know, other factors and uh, considerations, including uh, political stability and lack of environmental regulations, infrastructure and proximity of you know, markets uh, play a substantial role in making such decisions and investment decisions and locating uh, production sites. In the, in the report, you give something of a, of a history of how we got to this point of things being made in little bits and pieces around the globe rather than uh, in one place uh, where the, the materials are primarily found. And, uh, and you cited uh, three factors uh, that were necessary for production to have moved so much to the global south. Uh, one was the collapse of the Soviet Union, another was a debt crisis and the opening of China, and another was uh, what you call the, the detachment of government policy in, in the West from the, the needs of citizens. Can you, can you elab elaborate on these? Uh, yes. Uh, however, you know, the most important thing, I mean, obviously those factors are very important. I mean, there is no denial on that. And I think technological changes also uh, are part of the story and which enable uh, these companies uh, relocate or, you know, start basically their production facilities in uh, third world, you know, regions and different, you know, countries. And, and relatedly, I, I think that there's something that, you know, I should mention in passing as a background of this major transformation in the 70s uh, that is the uh, global uh, economic crisis. I mean, most most of us think that this crisis was triggered by uh, oil uh, prices uh, hike at the time, and in a very short period of time, as we all know, the prices quadrupled. It played a very important role, but in addition to that, I think uh, there were structural you know, problems in, in the capitalist economy in the 70s, uh, which forced basically, uh, especially uh, production uh, companies, uh, rethink where to invest and how to produce these things. And given the fact that uh, new technological innovations enable them to move things around and communicate in a much speedier way. And so I think this whole uh, uh, picture uh, with all these you know, factors contributed to the uh, shift from uh, being tied uh, 
one country and making most of the production uh, activities in one locality uh, to what we call nowadays the so-called global you know commodity chain or global global value chain uh, which uh, means that basically you produce you know, different things in different places and assemble you know in completely different you know, part if needed and and then uh, sell you know whatever basically you want to sell and because transportation is cheaper and communication is cheaper and speedier so and all of these factors contributed to I think the major change 1970s on and yet you seem that you would agree that uh, this could not, the same sort of change could not have happened uh, if the governments of the United States, Canada, Europe, Japan uh, had been willing to engage in what uh, began to be denounced as protectionism. Uh, if, if governments had, uh, had sought uh, the economic well-being of, of their own citizens and of uh, people around the world, uh, the same change couldn't have happened without, without political willingness. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, the, the so-called you know, globalization and hype associated with that kind of ideological, but at the same time, real you know, structural transformation of the global uh, economy uh, literally force individual you know, nation-states and governments and you know, pol- politicians uh, open up their borders. Uh, this is true for, obviously, not only the advancing countries, uh, in the United States and other West European countries, but also for the third world countries. And as we mentioned, as you pointed out in the notebook, that the you know, third world crisis was part of the story uh, in the sense that uh, third world countries are imposing a certain uh, economic policies, chiefly by IMF, uh, which require them actually to open up you know, their borders and having a kind of uh, trade policy which is much more conducive and you know, of and toward basically uh, capital mobility uh, throughout the world. And so uh, this uh, played very important role, uh, moving facilities from country to country uh, by these multinational corporations. There is no question about that. And I think the current situation in the United States and it prompts the so-called you know, trade war uh, could be interpreted you know, as a reaction to it uh, because in uh, negative impact of uh, such openings is you know, definitely felt by even American workers. Indeed. We, we are speaking with Ahmed Tonak about his report, The Rate of Exploitation, the case of the iPhone. Uh, and so with this background, uh, how, how is the iPhone produced? Where do all the parts come from and how many countries is it uh, manufactured in? Uh, many countries involved, and in terms of uh, uh, providing uh, inputs, I mean, starting with minerals and other kind of you know uh, basic stuff needed uh, to produce an iPhone. But in addition to that, you know, different components uh, produced in different countries, and eventually, all of these you know materials and other you know ingredients uh, put together uh, in different locations in China. And most of the time, by these Taiwanese, you know, company called Foxconn, and you know, thousands of you know workers, hundreds of thousands of workers work for this you know, company, and uh, minimally paid, and compared to basically to their counterparts in advanced you know, countries, and they assemble and manufacture these things uh, in 
certain settings and localities in mainland China. Uh, but in terms of number of countries, I think more than 30 countries involved in supplying the inputs uh, to the production of iPhones. More than 30 countries, and that includes some countries in Africa where forced child labor is used uh, in mines uh, with starvation wages paid to the children, right? Definitely, yeah. Um, and and the company you mentioned in China, Foxconn, you also uh, recount in, in your report uh, how prevalent uh, suicide has become among the workers there. Exactly, because of the working conditions, uh, and so miserable, so intolerable. Uh, some workers, uh, increasingly actually more in numbers, uh, committed suicide. And the the other uh, the other piece of the of the supposed value of the iPhone that you mention in the report is uh, inter- intellectual property value the value of the of the idea of how to put the iPhone together. Uh, but this you you recount uh, is based in large part on on government investments, public investments in in research. Correct. It is correct, and uh, we should not deny the fact that you know Apple uh, has its own you know researchers and innovators. You know, and um, there is no question about it. However, the amount of the iPhone—I mean, the number of iPhones you know, produced and in circulation and people use—enable uh, uh, us to assume that you know, that original you know design uh, contribution. And the so-called you know, intellectual, you know, the creative part of the iPhone design are relatively negligible. Uh, but as you pointed out, however, in the background, uh, uh, necessary knowledge, necessary you know, technical uh, background uh, of being you know, such innovators, so to speak, uh, most of the time related to uh, infrastructure and other kind of you know, research conducted and supported by, you know, government, especially in the United States. And Apple and similar, you know, companies uh, would usually benefit from those kind of uh, stimulated, you know, social knowledge and usually funded, you know, by people to the government. And so we should, you know, point that out. And however, in terms of our calculation in the last analysis, uh, what is the component, what is the uh, dollar value of this original you know, research, and, and, you know, creative part of the process, so to speak. And it is relatively minimal because of the fact that, and as I said, you know, millions of you know, iPhones produced on the basis of same design. Yeah. And, and looking, uh, as you do in the report, at what it actually costs to make uh, an iPhone, uh, it, it's not the, the $999 uh, that it's sold for, right? It's closer to, to $400? Uh, I, I think uh, close to $400. That, that, uh, that is uh, both Marxist uh, way of you know, calculating, but at the same time, uh, in uh, real-life you know, business situations, and uh, firms also account, you know, uh, different components of course in a very much similar to the way Marx uh, did these kind of you know, calculations. Although Marx used different kind of terminology, different kind of you know, categories, uh, but what we are doing here is in the last analysis uh, from even a standard you know, business practice, from a you know, 
company's point of view, how much a given company uh, is paying to its workers, what Marx called you know, variable capital, and we call in our daily language wages and salaries to those employees you hire uh, to produce basically whatever you produce it. And that is one component of the cost. And then the rest, all kind of inputs, machinery, rent, energy, whatever you use. Uh, Marx called all of those things in a constant capital. And so uh, these components uh, more or less available to us in published literature in front of iPhone 10, um, workers more or less have paid around $24 uh, per iPhone in terms of their wages. And all the other material uh, and inputs, uh, other necessary costs needed to produce iPhone 10 is roughly $370. So when we uh, sum up these two numbers, uh, as we say, it's roughly $400. So that is the cost of the iPhone. Yeah. Um, but, so depending upon how much basically uh, you sell and where, uh, as we all know, uh, prices change country to country, and then you have you know six hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, in some instances actually more uh, profit. What Marx called surplus value. So we so we're talking about a, a phone that costs four hundred dollars to make and is sold for a uh, thousand. Uh, one question is where does that where does that six hundred dollars go? Uh, and and then when we started out with this figure that it would you could sell it for thirty thousand dollars if it were made in the United States. Uh, does exactly. that does that mean that it would actually only cost? Uh, it would actually only cost $12,000 to make in the United States, but be sold for $30,000? Or uh... Uh, No, actually, the, the, the fact that, you know, if it would have been made in the United States, you know, costing $30,000, mostly related to uh, labor costs, uh, but also other ingredients, uh, other parts when uh, produced in the United States, uh, they would cost, you know, more than that. And we don't have... Uh, breakdown of those, you know, components and, you know, other uh, input materials needed to produce iPhone uh, completely in the United States. But we right. all know that we all know that wage difference obviously makes, you know, uh, uh, the price of the iPhone, you know, much costlier. And as I said, you know, according to one estimate, is roughly around thirty thousand dollars. But if it were then marked up with the same sort of percentage uh, for profit, it might be sold for seventy-five thousand dollars. Probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. So, so who gets the who gets the the extra six hundred dollars for every iPhone? Uh, obviously, Apple, right? <laughs> and in some instances, actually, the price is more than one thousand dollars, as we uh, pointed out in the notebook. That, for example, uh, in my home country, it's more than you know one thousand dollars. And I think, you know, $1,800 or something like that. And so uh, dis distributors, obviously, intermediaries will take also a substantial chunk of uh, this, you know, profit. Yeah. This profit is divided, you know, uh, among, you know, uh, other involved, you know, companies. But in the case of United States, uh, we could, I think, legitimately and accurately assume that uh, most of the $600 uh, appropriated by Apple. So Ahmed Tonaki, the the focus of your uh, of your report in some ways is the is the rate of exploitation. Uh, so how using these numbers, how do you calculate 
what the rate of exploitation of, of the workers is. Okay, and let me give you a little bit background of the concept itself. And uh, the concept was originally suggested by Marx, uh, mostly through its uh, capital in Volume 1. Uh, and he himself considered that actually uh, his main contribution to uh, economic polit- uh, political economy is the invention of surplus value, not surplus, because the concept of surplus was available to us before Marx through Adam Smith and David Ricardo, uh, classical economists. But Marx uh, reinterpreted this term and then developed his own uh, category of surplus value. And this surplus value is the basis of capitalist terms and profit, according to Marxian uh, framework. And the way he uh, introduced and expanded on this concept is this. He said that uh, the value is created by labor. So let's look at uh, a given working day. Uh, how much value is created and what portion of value is needed for those things that workers can reproduce themselves next day uh, to be ready to work again. And he observed, obviously, capitalism in England, and he made a certain assumption, and he realized that actually only part of the working day is needed for workers to generate certain amount of value, uh, which is obviously translated to their wages in terms of dollar amount or uh, British pound amount, so that they could go and buy things and reproduce themselves and reproduce their members of their family and work next day uh, similarly. But the rest of the working day, uh, workers continue to work and produce additional values, and those values constitute the basis of surplus value and appropriated by the capitalists. So in that sense, uh, Marx uh, divided working day into two parts. Uh, One part, a certain amount of value is generated and given to workers as wages, and the other part is basically surplus time. And values continue to be produced and constituted the basis of surplus value taken by the capitalists. He said that let us divide uh, the latter part, the surplus value part, or uh, surplus labor part, by the wages uh, and necessary labor time uh, taken by workers to produce those values that they themselves need. And that is the basis of rate of surplus value, sometimes we call rate of exploitation. And that's what uh, we use for explaining the concept, introducing the concept, and also applying to the situation of iPhone production. Uh, I should add that, by the way, this concept is not a, a foreign concept to mainstream economics either. Mainstream economics uses a similar concept, which is called profit-wage ratio. Right? And how much profit a company is uh, generating and how much wages they are giving their workers. So it's a kind of distributional uh, indicator at the same time. And, and the, think, yes. Sorry, I was going to ask uh, also the examples that Marx uses in, in his book in the 19th century to, to exemplify this the exploitation of workers. 
your report says that that the that the exploitation or the surplus in the in the manufacture of the iPhone uh, is 25 times uh, worse than the examples that that Marx used in in his writing. Is that right? Yes, it is. It is accurate. Uh, because uh, when we use these figures that we mentioned before in terms of uh, input costs, in terms of workers' wages in producing iPhone 10, uh, which was around $400, and only $24 portion of it is the so-called variable capital in Marxian terms or, or wages, uh, whereas you know, profit or surplus value is $600. So therefore, when you divide $600 by 25, you get a number which is roughly 2,500%, 2,500%. And when you read you know, Capital, Volume 1, and Marx uses many instances as rate of surplus value, rate of exploitation being 100%. So that is the uh, reference that we are making. Right. Even in his time, even in his time uh, after he observed textile workers, especially in England, that he thought that, you know, 100% rate of exploitation or rate of surplus value are a good uh, presentation of approximate exploitation. And now we are finding that, you know, 2,500% in the case of iPhone workers. So on that basis, we said that an exploitation is 25 times more than 19th century British reality that, you know, Marx himself observed and wrote about. I, I, we have about two minutes left. I hesitate to ask, but what do we do about it? Uh, how, do we, how do we get to a different system without this sort of exploitation? I mean, let us start with our utopian ultimate goal. Uh, utopian ultimate goal is obviously abolishing uh, wage system you know, completely. Uh, so people basically own what they produce and they decide how to produce and how to share what they produce both among themselves as well as you know, uh, socially, society-wide. Since you know, that is not achievable immediately and tomorrow, I think you know, what we should do, we should work for uh, uh, reasonable wages and, and living wages and also workers' rights and internationally. Uh, uh, not only focusing one locality, because when you achieve you know, certain uh, standards in one locality, as we all know, on the basis of our experience of globalization last 40 years, yes. capital is so mobile and moves basically other regions where basically they can exploit the workers and conditions are much more uh, relaxed, especially in terms of environmental regulations and political uh, situation and trade union rights things like that. So we yes. should uh, act globally and uh, internationally in a very connected way to achieve you know, uh, basic standards for workers. Let, let me ask one more, one more question. Ahmed, do, do you own an iPhone? Yes, I do own an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> so the solution is not to avoid buying iPhones? Not at all. I, I, I think that is a very naive, you know, uh, understanding of, especially, uh, I must say, among some American uh, radical friends that, you know, uh, uh, some sort of strike against you know, certain consumption goods, you know, could achieve the result. Uh, so I think we should realize that the situation is much more systemic. And uh, so we should fight against, you know, capital uh, and in a very interconnected, very global way. 
Uh, very, very well said. We've been speaking with Ahmed Tonak. The report is called The Rate of Exploitation, The Case of the iPhone. We will have a link to it up at talknationradio.org. Ahmed, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.